it was an opportunity for me to see how the child and the parent were interacting together and how I could support them better and how to empower the parent with maybe encouraging the child to participate and to take more risk and to be more comfortable. And then I could start coaching the parent with, okay, let's try to say this. Let's try to say that. Or instead of telling the child, oh, come on, come on, do this. This is your therapy session. This is time for you to do this. Why don't you, mom or dad, start doing things with me? Why don't we, you know, sit on this swing together? Why don't we start working on this puzzle together? And sure enough, within a few minutes, the child would want to join. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Gilda Evans, bringing you the Autism Resource Podcast. This podcast and the ARP website are your one-stop knowledge and resource base for autism and much more. I'm happy to have Christian Vincenot join me as my guest today. He is with Life Guide Coaching, and Christian has been in the neurodivergent space his entire life. He grew up as an anxious and shy kid with ADHD in a neurodiverse family. Professionally, he worked as an occupational therapist for over 30 years with neurodiverse families and has now transitioned as a parent coach. Christian has developed a unique approach to help parents navigate neurodivergence and identify practical solutions for everyday challenges while focusing on building a strong relationship with their child. Welcome, Christian, and thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and discuss the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me, Galda. I'm very happy to be here and have this conversation with you. Well, to begin with, tell me, what were some of the things you learned while working as an occupational therapist? Oof, that's a long list. You know, I I learned that there was always there was always a reason behind the behavior. And often if we spend the time to look at what it was and and try different things, then we could we could usually understand what that behavior was, what the challenge was, and how to help the child and the parents in the process. So some other things that I learned was, you know, a little more technical, but the importance of the regulation, understanding what regulation is, because it's such a huge piece of understanding neurodivergence and, and autism in particular. And it is, in, in my experience, it is often overlooked or, or underestimated. And, you know, things like the, the power of the relationship. The relationship is really what drives the train of helping your child with autism. And often I've seen parents just become so stressed in the process because they don't have the information, because raising a child with autism is stressful, I've often seen that relationship being strained to the point where it becomes counterproductive. And so finding ways to support the parents in nurturing that relationship, you know, was always on my radar. You know, the power of of feeling seen and, and heard for kids, because a lot of a lot of autistic kids are in constant freakout mode. And it is not acknowledged. You know, we, we tell them, oh, you need to do this. You need to, you know, keep your hands quiet and, and you need to calm down. You need, you need to take some deep breaths. You need to, but nobody really looks at the fact that this kid's nervous system is in fight or flight mode and, and, and they're just in complete freakout mode and they can't process information and they can't make sense of the, of the world they're operating in. So addressing that piece first before anything else was always something that, you know, was really helpful. And another thing might have been also the importance of slowing down, 
because, you know, we live in the busy world and there are lots of things to do, lots of, you know, roles to manage for parents and kids have, you know, can be very busy with school and homework and therapies and interventions. And often we don't realize that in the process of doing all those things for the child, all those things, you know, with good intentions and good purposes, everybody's just completely stressed out. And the child is stressed out and the parents are stressed out and it's defeating the the purpose of trying to support the child in, in their development. So those, those, I would say, would be things that stand out. Okay, so it's very important, as we know, to work with the child and address the things that you just mentioned. But what about working with the parents? What are the aspects that make it so important to work with the parents? Well, the... The parents are the biggest influencers for the worst and for the best. And, you know, they're the primary role models of the child, as long as, you know, whoever grows up with the child, you know, it could be an extended family member, it could be a grandparent or an aunt or whoever. But, you know, in that context, the the parent has the, the primary role. So helping the parents to understand what they have control over and empowering them with information that can really support their effort in supporting their child is where I feel that, you know, a lot needs to be done. And, and parents have a huge power in modeling. And, and often they don't realize it. They understand it on, on some level, but they don't see how much they can do through modeling. And another piece that is often not talked about is when, I mean, we, we all understand it on an intuitive level, but when the parents are stressed, everybody's stressed in the family. You know, when the parents are stressed, it affects the entire family unit. And I've seen so many therapies for autism where the therapy focuses on the child and aims at helping the child to control themselves, to be more social, to be more quiet, to be more this, more that. But it's not really looking at well, how, how is the therapy working for the whole family? Mm-hmm. And I remember when I started noticing this, I used to work as an occupational therapist and go out of my way and provide the best possible services and the kids were making progress. And then I started realizing that the parents were falling apart sometimes, you know, even though the child was doing better. So it's like, okay, well, what's happening? What is it that is not being addressed? And so I started asking questions like, well, has this service working for the entire family? And I remember at first the parents looking at me like, like, what do you mean? I mean, this is for my child. It's like, yeah, but I can't tell you're stressed. Oh, well, yeah, I'm stressed, but you know, that's just what it is. So really looking at, at the entire family as a system and not just at the child. And then, you know, once, once we can support the entire family, of course, the child will do better. And, and if the parents are stronger, the child will be stronger. Mm. And then the parents will be stronger at, at, you know, they will have more bandwidth, more resilience, more, more clarity on how they can support their child. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned therapies. So now we all know that neurodivergent kids often receive a lot of different therapies and interventions, right? Uh, So in your opinion, is there something that these therapies and interventions often fail to address? Yes. I mean, in in my opinion, there's, you know, a lot missing is the parent-child relationship. You know, the, the therapist, will work with the child and then for an hour or whatnot, and then, or for, you know, 15 minutes. And then for the last five minutes, they will tell their parents, okay, this is what happened. Your child did well, or you had a tantrum, but then he recovered. And okay, so try this, try that, try that next time. And 
it's not realistic. It's not realistic to, you know, in five minutes to integrate all of those, all of those methods, all of those strategies and try them out on your own. So to me, it's really about starting with a parent. And there was some point that my career as an OT or as an occupational therapist, where I realized that was such a missing piece that I started asking the parents to be in the sessions. And to my surprise, a lot of parents were saying, wait, I'm, it's okay for me to be in the sessions because nobody else allows me to do that. Each time I've asked, other providers say, oh no, it would be too distracting for your child. And then when I started experimenting with this, was the child distracted? Well, it was not that they were distracted. If they were distracted, the, the way I looked at it was that, well, they needed that support. They needed that co-regulation from the parent in the room. They needed a reassurance. And it was an opportunity for me to see how the child and the parent were interacting together and how I could support them better and how to empower the parent with maybe encouraging the child to participate and to take more risk and to be more comfortable. And then I could start coaching the parent with, okay, let's try to say this, let's try to say that. Or instead of telling the child, oh, come on, come on, do this. This is your therapy session. This is time for you to do this. Why don't you, mom or dad, start doing things with me? Why don't we, you know, sit on this swing together? Why don't we start working on this puzzle together? And sure enough, within a few minutes, the child would want to join. And so through this, you know, there were a lot of pieces that were being addressed. And the parents realized that, oh, less telling and more showing, mm -hmm. you know, more modeling and less pressuring. And so really working on that parent-child relationship on how to give feedback, on how to share information. And, and um, often I feel that it's not being addressed in therapies. So another one is to... Or, talked a little bit in this example, is therapists tend to tell children what to do a lot. Okay, do this now, do this. Okay, now do it another three times. And, and it's a lot about telling as opposed to showing. And so I feel that often the child is, you know, learns how to comply, learns how to follow directions. But in the process, they don't learn about themselves. They don't learn... You know, they don't develop self-awareness. They're not encouraged to talk about what they like versus what they don't like. You know, why things difficult? What is difficult? How difficult is it? And, oh, well, let's try this together. You know, this obstacle course is, that was more difficult than I thought. Let's try it again together. Oh, I wonder, I wonder what could make it easier. Maybe, maybe if we remove this, well, let's try that together. Oh, was that easier? Yeah, it was easier. Oh, I didn't think about that. Ah, good thing we tried. So encouraging, you know, exploration, encouraging, because all that exploration is, is not focused on telling the child there's only one way to do things, because life is not about just one way of doing things. It's about figuring out how we need to be and what works the best for ourselves and how we're going to make those things happen. And if we don't start in early childhood, then it's you know, we have a lot of catching up to do as an adult. And, and, and so, you know, I would see so many kids who were just so used to doing things on command and either, you know, being perfectly fine doing things on command and then completely freaking out when they were just asked to make a decision. I mean, I literally had dozens of kids who would go into meltdown when I just gave them free choice. 
because they had had so many therapies telling him, no, this is this is what you do. Yes, no, this is, you know, this is how we do it. Do it now. This is, you know, this is how you say things. Say it again, repeat it. And and when I give them choices, I say, oh, you know, we have, we can do it this way or that way, but I wonder which way you want to do it. No, no. And some of them would tell me, tell me, tell me what to do. I don't want to decide. And how horrible that is. I mean, how do you prepare a child for adulthood, for life, when you don't prepare them to make decisions and decisions are based on preferences. Preferences are based on, on, you know, knowing who we are and, and and what we value, what we believe in. And and so all of that, I feel, is is a huge piece that I see is often missing in, in therapies. Yeah, I really like that. I like your approach and I like what you're saying. And like I said before, it, it really does make a lot of sense. So when a parent comes to you with behavioral concerns about their child for the first time, what do you tell them? And then also what are some of the parenting shifts that you see from working with your clients? Well, every situation is different, right? So, you know, I have parents who come in with a with a two-year-old or a three-year-old, and I have some who come in with a 25-year-old who's been living at home and who's who hasn't been able to get a job or who can't hold on to a job, and the parents are frustrated and they want their child to be more independent, possibly to move out of the home, and it's just they just can't figure out. So lots of situations, you know, lots of different scenarios. But my first approach or or very frequent one is to to let the parents know that I look at behavior as data. And, you know, so before we say, before we say my child needs to do X, Y, and Z, and it's a problem they're not doing X, Y, and Z, we also immediately need to think, okay, why is it that they're not doing X, Y, and Z? Or why is it that they're doing this and that? And so we need to really analyze the behavior to give us all the information that that we possibly can find, because through that information, we're going to understand what the child needs. You know, we can start with the big, big categories like for example is the the behavior more of a seeking behavior an avoidant behavior you know if the child is seeking more stimulation more input they just can't get enough so they're it makes them do things maybe they're more restless they're hyper they need stimulation they need or are they more avoiding because they tend to get more overwhelmed so do they tend to shut down more and and uh so you know one is going to give us a lot of important information of how, how to proceed. Is that, you know, is the child refusing to do things because they're scared or because they don't know how to do it, even though they've been told 50 times, they just can't figure out how to do it. Or is it, you know, is it because they're afraid of failing and, and they know exactly what to do, but they're just so afraid, they're terrified of failing and just telling them, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. It's not going to be enough, you know, and, and, and so those would be things that I would start, you know, sharing with the parents in terms of my approach to make sure we're on the same page. One statement that is the simplest possible statement, but that I often start with is your child is not doing this on purpose. And even if it seems just that it's not the case, even if, you know, even if it seems that you've, you've told a child. 200 times to put things down, to put something down, and they're not putting it down. You know, it's really easy to think, of course, they're doing it on purpose. I told them they know exactly what to do. They may know what to do, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't stop. It could be that their nervous system is in such level of, of stress that doing what they're doing is the only way that they can cope. And it's still not enough, but it's the only way that they're 
you know, what they're holding on to to try to calm themselves. So it could be that, you know, they they not doing that thing because they really don't know how to do it, even though they've been told. And and or in the moment they can't stop themselves. And so trying to reframe that from the the, the proverbial, your child is not your child is not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And and once you shift that, you know, it makes it a little bit easier to have a little more empathy and to think, okay, if my child is not giving me a hard time, they're having a hard time, then how can I, I support my child better? Which leads to, okay, let me understand more about why they're doing things the way they're doing or why they're not doing X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, really going deeper into, into you know, sometimes it's, it's looking at the child's strength in order to, you know, leverage their strength to work on something that is particularly difficult for them. So starting to use a, you know, uh, a more preferred activity that will help them feel more confident and increase their motivation to work on something to work on some more difficult concepts. And um, I'm trying to think what else I can, I can share about this. <laughs> you know, one, one piece that I also tell parents is even though the behavior is about your child, I'm most likely going to work with you also on how you're doing during those interactions. I work with a fair amount of parents who are who acknowledge losing their temper, you know, not in a violent way, not in an abusive way, but who may yell, who may shout. And there was a time where I didn't talk about it. It was not even on my radar uh, because it didn't show during therapy sessions. And then I started at some point, you know, noticing picking up on those signs and then that led to me being more comfortable with it and creating a safe space for parents to to talk about that to talk about their own frustrations without feeling judged and without feeling you know and and what came up was just so revealing because every single parent who shared told me well yeah we feel we feel like crap we feel we feel guilty of of we don't want to be that parent who yells but and we keep telling ourselves, okay, this is the last time I yell. I am not going to yell. I don't want to be that parent. And then next time, the child has you know something that's highly irritating, they lose their temper again. So, so it's something that I've that I've identified as such a such a big building block of or or you know hurdle of the the parent child relationship that I I address it. So I often talk about it, you know, depending on what the, the parents acknowledge during the first call or, or, but that's something that often comes up where I work with the parents on their, on their emotional regulation. And, you know, often talk about how when the parents yells, that doesn't make them a bad parent, it just makes them a parent who needs to learn how to self-regulate during stressful situations. And, and so often what happens, I guess that's a good segue into, to the, your, your last question about some of the parenting shift that I've seen is often in the process of helping that child to learn how to self-regulate, for example, the parents learn how to self-regulate better themselves. And so I, there's often a lot of transformation that happens, not just with the child, but with, with the parent, where they realize like, oh, yeah, I mean, why do I yell? Why well, yell? Because... That's what I saw my parents do when I was a kid, you know, because I mean, let's face it, you know, times have changed. 
Each generation does things a little bit differently. The whole field of child development is still relatively new. You know, all those good, positive, gentle parenting methods that we know haven't been around for that long. And so most parents grew up with a model that was not ideal. And, and so, of course, they use that model. They use a version of that model with their child because that makes sense. You know, there's no, you don't go to parenting school. So you, you just use whatever you've, you've learned as a child. And then, you know, many parents that I work with are also neurodivergent themselves, which, you know, years ago was not on my radar. And, and then when I started picking up on that, I thought, well, yeah, of course, that makes sense. So the, the parents may have their own, you know, I have parents who acknowledge being very sound sensitive and they have a child who's very loud, who may be stimming with, you know, verbal stimming and who makes a lot of banging noises and humming and they say, it just drives me crazy, you know, and, and, and it really, you know, puts my nervous system in fight or flight mode. So what do you do? I mean, it's, you know, you, you have two nervous systems that have opposite needs, but being able to having having the understanding, the neurological understanding of what happens with you know sensory input, what happens with when when we are bombarded with sensory input that is that is uncomfortable, having that understanding and using that framework allows me to address that piece with the parents and and make space for them and not just say, oh well, do your best and you know be a good parent and you know, all that nonsense and 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 uh, so. You know, a lot of the shift that I see is a transformation from the parent realizing more about themselves, finding more ways to, you know, having more, a lot more clarity, a lot more confidence in their parenting. So as opposed to reacting in the moment and feeling like I just can't take this anymore or I'm so worried about messing up my child because I, I can tell that whatever I'm doing, this is not working, but I'm working so hard. And it's not working and how demoralizing that is. So often a lot more clarity where parents have a better sense in the moment, for example, saying, okay, my child right now is dysregulated or my child is not transitioning because there's been too much going on today. And it's just, you know, one more transition is pushing them over the edge. So it's not the usual pattern, but it's okay. I can tell this is related to, because there was a birthday party, there was, you know, substitute teacher, it was raining and we didn't have as much outdoor times. And now my child is completely melting down. It's not the end of the world. It feels like it, but it's because of all these things. So now I'm feeling a little more empowered because I know those things. So because I know that my child is melting down because he's overloaded. Let's just have some quiet time as quickly as possible, as soon as possible. Let's just reduce all inputs and, and as opposed to, you know, trying to do something else. So just a lot more clarity and just more confidence about their parenting. And then, you know, usually a lot less tantrums and meltdowns and, and more, more, a little more calm and peace in the family. Well, you know, I really like your approach and your methodology, Christian, because it's a holistic approach and it's not just treating the parent. It's not treating just the child. It's approaching it from the standpoint of the whole family and the relationship and the interaction. And I think that is very, very important. So I really like that. And the service that you offer is really wonderful and really important. So that said, how can our listeners reach you if they want more information? 
Well, my email is always a good one. So it's Christian at lifeguidecoaching.org. Christian at lifeguidecoaching.org. And another one, if people are on LinkedIn, I have a strong presence on LinkedIn. That's actually the only social media platform that I'm on. But I put out a lot of content related to neurodivergence, not just autism, but neurodivergence in general. And so my account is under my name, Christian Vincent. And people may not know how to spell that. So if you don't mind spelling your name, so that of people- course, find Of you course, of course. Great. So Christian, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. And Vincent is V-I-N-C-E-N-E-U-X. Well, thank you so much, Christian, for your time and for sharing your story with us today. Thank you so much, Gilda. It was a pleasure. Appreciate the time and opportunity. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular platforms. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And you can always access us and other great resources on our website, autismresourcepodcast.com. I want to thank our listeners for spending part of their day with us. This is the Autism Resource Podcast, and I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.